0: Welcome to worship today. We're going to uh, begin our service by singing a a psalm, Psalm 100. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Let's sing it together. I will enter enter His gates with thanksgiving thanksgiving in my heart. I will
1: enter His courts with praise. I will will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I made. I will return.
0: Lord God, we do come into your uh, gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. Um, Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to ask humbly uh, that as we worship, as we study your word, that you would transform us more into the image of your dear son, Jesus. And uh, Lord, we just give you praise for all the things going on today. We've got uh, parent-child dedication to celebrate. We've got baptisms to celebrate, new members to celebrate. Lord, you are good. And we just give you all praise and glory. And in Jesus' name we pray.
2: Amen. Well, greetings. It's a wonderful blessing to continually greet you from baptismal waters. And today we have the wonderful privilege of baptizing husband and wife. And so, Amen. God is good. This is Mitzi Shoemaker. Uh, any family here, Mitzi? All right. Y'all stand up and witness. Amen. We believe that God has given us baptism as a uh, visible symbol of redemption. Having been buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. uh, This is a representation of what God has done on the inside of Mitzi's life. Taking out a heart of stone, putting in a heart of flesh, redeeming her. And we praise God for baptism. Mitzi, upon your profession of faith, coming to know Jesus as your Lord and in obedience to the Great Commission, it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, my sister. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. We are raised to walk in newness of life. For the first time, I saw Ty come to church today with a suit on. And we thought he was preaching today. But,
1: well, you know.
2: Amen. Amen. Just proud of Ty, I I told you all that he was born and raised out of a Mormon family and then later trusted Jesus as his Lord. So we rejoice in God's saving grace, amen. Amen. Ty, upon your profession of faith, trusting Jesus as your Lord and obedience to the Great Commission, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. And we are raised to walk in newness of life.
0: Just uh, give me a few seconds to call your attention to the uh, connection card, and if you're visiting with us, maybe for the first or second time, we'd sure love to know who you are, and how to contact you, and give you a little bit more information about the church, so please fill that out, and then also, there's a prayer request card, uh, we'll be faithful to pray for those weekly, alright, so uh, those can either be put in the offering plate, uh, or those connection cards can actually be taken out to the connection area, and you can meet some more people out there, and they can tell you a little bit more, even today, about The ministries of the church, if you'd like. So you can put those there or in the offering plate. All right. Hey, we're going to celebrate an exciting time of some parent child dedications. And let's sort of get ready for that by singing this great passage from Joshua the commitment As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
1: As for me and my
0: house, we
1: will serve.
3: to introduce the families participating in this morning's parent-child dedication service and to welcome the families and friends who have traveled to witness this special event today. As each family is introduced, they will be presented with a certificate of dedication and a Bible to serve as a reminder of the covenant that they will be entering into today. If, at this time, if I can have the families stand and move forward. Our first family is Ryan Wynn Bippert, born September 14th, 2020. His parents are Casey and Olivia Bippert. next we have oliver dean dietrich born september 23rd 2022 his parents are dylan and evie dietrich and he's joined by his big sister olivia (laughs) next we have riley k link born may 18th 2020 Her parents are Chad and Mallory Link. (laughs) Next, we have Arthur Daniel Morgan, born March 12, 2022. His parents are Matthew and Cassie Morgan. Next, we have Murray William Sublett, born September 16, 2022. His parents are Tanner and Mackenzie Sublett. And last, we have Liam Timothy Wilson, born June 29, 2021. His parents are Billy and J.C. Wilson.
2: Praise the Lord. It's the privilege of the church to encourage and assist parents in the proper training and development of their children. Therefore, it's very appropriate that we unite in a service of dedication, right, with parents and children. Uh, We believe the act of dedication is in keeping with uh, the scripture. We're first to give thanks to God. Uh, for these children and in the second place we are given a solemn promise as parents or we're to make a solemn promise as parents and as a church that relying on the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ working with home and church will endeavor to provide guidance for these children, instructs and discipline we pray salvation experience and growth in the Lord and third in the third place we are to pray for God's blessings upon these children And the presence of his spirit, remembering how the Lord Jesus Christ took children and blessed them. The Bible says we agree, or the Bible says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of the warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So we expect all of you all to be back next year. Right? (laughs) The Bible says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to such as to keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Psalm 103, 17 and 18. So, to you parents, in presenting your child to the Lord, do you promise in dependence on God's grace to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith, To set a Christian example before him or her, to bring him or her up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, and to encourage him or her to accept Christ as his or her Savior under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We We do? All right, praise the Lord. And, congregation, do you, members of the church family, promise to join with these parents in teaching and training? the teaching and training of these children that he or she may be led in due time to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to confess the Lord Jesus in baptism and church membership. If you do so, would you indicate by standing? All right. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Great God, uh, we are so thankful uh, for the blessing of children in a world that devalues children. We stand with you, Father, and we love life. We stand with you and say, Lord, give us all the babies that you want to give us and give them to us healthy, Lord, uh, the way you've created them to be. And, Father, we, just, we thank you, Lord God, for children, and we pray, most importantly, that in an early age, each and every one will be sensitive to the gospel, and they'll trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. We've
0: had uh, so much to be thankful about already in this service, but let's narrow our focus just a little bit more and talk about uh, this week of thanksgiving. And if you're my age or older, this hymn will be familiar to you, and uh, you'll think about it in a way of thanksgiving, I'm sure. Count your many blessings. Let's sing it together.
1: Bring up one you this call scourge taking all is lost Count your many blessings name them one by one and it will surprise you what the lord has done
0: You notice all these uh, red and green boxes. Blake, come on up and pray over these and share a little bit about what's going on this week.
4: Well, for about eleven months of the year, you see in your bulletin every week, give to Operation Christmas Child. Give to Operation Christmas Child. Well, we're going to take a break, but then January you'll see give to Operation <laughs> Christmas Child. Anyway, uh, we this year have have collected at FBCO over fifteen hundred boxes. Which is good, but it's not about the number. But here's what's important about the number. Each box represents a gospel presentation. And for a child to receive a box, they'll, they'll have to, I shouldn't say have to, sit through a gospel presentation. They get to sit through a gospel presentation. And out of that, many uh, children and their families uh, come to know the Lord. And discipleship groups and churches are started uh just from receiving one of these boxes and so it is a it is a great thing and and as you pulled in today you saw uh two two trailers out there and we are a uh, uh, a pickup site starting tomorrow these boxes will come from all over our district and be loaded into those and be taken down to uh, uh Texas where they'll be unloaded and loaded again it's a government job i guess and so uh <laughs> just kidding and so uh uh those will be all uh, taken all over the world and, and children will receive these boxes and uh, it's, it's a great thing. And so pray as they, as they go from here to wherever they're going to go. We don't know where they're going to go, but God does. And uh, pray that as the kids open it up, uh, that uh, they'll hear the gospel and that they will see, receive the greatest gift, and that is the message of Jesus Christ. So we'll do that. So as we pray for our offering, just remember you all helped to do this, and so thank you. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for um, the folks in this church that gave money to help these boxes to be put together for shipping to to be sent around the world Uh, God we 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 thank you that uh, uh, so many have been faithful to do that because the gospel is so important to get out to to every corner of the earth and so God I just pray for these boxes as they go out that your gospel will be presented and that boys and girls and moms and dad will come to know you but but father God as we give our money here locally as well May the gospel start here and go around the world as we share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, We love you, we praise you, and thank you in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Well, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you certainly can agree with me that uh, the greatest thing we could be thankful for is Jesus' shed blood. Amen. His gift of salvation. And so uh, we're going to start this song. Solo is going to start it and then we're going to join in in thanking Jesus for the blood that he shed for us.
5: I was ready
1: Jesus for the blood.
0: Our heads close our eyes there are so many blessings we can count today amen let's just go to the lord in prayer and as he brings to mind those things you ought to be thankful for just give him praise give him thanks give him all the glory today in these next few moments
2: be seated praise the Lord thank you choir for giving us psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that move our affections from the Lord the goal of music is to drop what's in your head into your heart take what's in the hard drive and move it to your affections that we worship the Lord praise the Lord for psalms and hymns and spiritual songs Hebrews chapter 13 I like the book of Hebrews We've been in there here the last few weeks, and we'll pick back up in Ephesians. In the first of the year, look forward to preaching on the Advent coming up in December. And Dr. Rodney Harrison will be with us next Sunday morning to preach for us. Uh, He was gracious to say he would come and preach for me after my preaching schedule and my vocal cords and weddings, two of them, right? One today. One today. Uh, We'll have for Merritt and Chloe and one in a couple weeks for Timothy and Hannah. And so uh, Dr. Harrison will be here. Always a blessing to hear from him and I hope you'll be here next Sunday. Hebrews 13 verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I hope you realize that sacrifice has been a part of worship since the time of Adam and Eve. If you've ever read past the fall narrative, you will find that in Genesis 3.21, God has to make a covering for Adam and Eve. In fact, the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant outlined for us in great detail in the book of Leviticus had been observed since the time of Moses. Of course, there were some interruptions to the sacrificial system. You know what the interruptions were? Bad kings and the bad Babylonians. Those were interruptions. The sacrifices of the Old Covenant were made initially in the tabernacle. Y'all remember this? That's why... The terminology is used here for tent, the tent of meeting. So, after a while, a temple was built called Solomon's Temple. And then the sacrifices would take place inside of that glorious structure. There was a time for nearly a century from 586 B.C. when the sacrifices were in abeyance because there was no temple. It had been destroyed There were, the actual sacrifices were reinstituted in 515 under Zerubbabel's temple. Otherwise, in Jesus' day, now known as Herod's temple. I hope you remember this. You're tracking with this little history lesson. The point is, sacrifice was always a part of the life of the people of God. In AD, a radical historical shift took place from reading the Bible or reading Josephus, that General Titus came in to put down the Jewish uprising, something called the Jewish rebellion, at the end of the Jewish wars. Titus believed that that the Jewish temple needed to be demolished. In Titus' own words, the goal of destroying the temple was to wipe out the Jewish and Christian religions. He believed that if the root was destroyed, the stock would surely perish. How wrong was he? The Jewish wars lasted three and a half years from 66 to 70 AD but do you remember the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ not one stone would be left upon another. We know what happened. Jerusalem was destroyed along with its temple. How can you do sacrifice and how can you have a priest when you have no temple? So, a little later than 70 A.D., outside of Jerusalem in Jamnia, there was a rabbinical school. And at this rabbinical school, they redefined Judaism. The work that they compiled is known as the Mishnah. How many of you have ever heard of that? Mishnah? Well, it is decidedly anti-Christian. The Mishnah would actually denounce the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament... And reject the Christian scriptures. In the Mishnah, you don't have have Isaiah 53. Oh, can you think of the tragedy of Jewish people holding the Mishnah that stands as their orthodox religion. Their document, the Mishnah, and never reading about Jesus. Because they took out Isaiah 53. He will be stricken for our sins. Bruised for our iniquities. His ch- the chastisement of our sin would be placed upon him. Mm. Not able to read that. So basically, Judaism would have what's called a facelift. And one of the big adaptations was to redefine sacrifice. Listen folks, if you don't have a temple, how can you follow the old covenant procedures? How can you do this? So if you're tracking with me in this little historical lesson, perhaps you can see where I'm going. Hopefully you see the problem. There's no high priest. There's no one to offer the sacrifice. There's no temple. There's no place which to offer the sacrifice. There's no altar. There's no structure upon which to offer this sacrifice. And, of course, there is no sacrifice. As indicated in the Jewish encyclopedia, unable after the destruction of the temple to observe these ordinances, they, the Sanhedrin, did not hesitate to declare in contrast to the sacrificial law, which rejected the defective victim... God now accepts the broken hearted as a sacrifice. Of course, they would give some other kinds of sacrifices and alms, etc., but here's the problem. It was their Old Testament scriptures, right, that established the sacrificial system. It was ordained by God. It was given to Moses. It was given to the people for the forgiveness of their sins. It was God himself who established the very day of atonement as a covering of the people's sins. Instead of the Jewish people asking the question, why did God fix a time so that we could not have any more sacrifices in the temple any longer? And why did they turn around and say, well, you don't need blood anymore. You just need a broken and contrite heart before God. How could they do this? There was a good reason Why God put a definitive end to the high priest and to the sacrifices. It wasn't in order for Judaism, Judaism to become a bloodless religion. It was because the ultimate high priest had already come. Amen? Just listen to a couple of verses in chapter 10. I don't have time for all of it. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never by the same sacrifices sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world. Notice verse 8, 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of Jesus' body. uh, The body of Christ once for all. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So, thus, the high priest was no longer necessary. An altar inside of a temple was no longer necessary. Chapter 8, verse 13. Just listen as I read this. The Bible says, Chapter 8, verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and sure enough within a few short years of the writing of this book of Hebrews what was already accomplished through Christ that put an end to sacrifice the final high priest was given what was already accomplished through Christ became clearer to the people when God actually destroyed the temple it was literally destroyed or made obsolete the moment Jesus died and the veil was rent from top to bottom but what was spiritually accomplished became physically visible When Jesus said not a single stone will be left upon another and the temple will be gone. God could shut the door on that old covenant establishment. Why? Because that once for all forgiveness secured for us by the Lord Jesus Christ put an end to the old covenant that had been offered up to God for all those years. Therefore, there was no longer any need. Now, imagine that you had been brought up Jewish. Think about this for a moment. The sacrifice has been such an instrumental part of your faith. Bringing an offering to God was part of the very fabric of your life. Now you have this new covenant where the Bible is telling you that the ultimate sacrifice has been offered. And there's no other need for any kind of other sacrifice. Blood sacrifice. There's no earthly high priest anymore because the ultimate high priest is seated in heaven. Hallelujah. Is there not anything for us to offer? Good question, right? What does worship under the new covenant look like? Because we went into this magnificent structure. Well, it wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's, right? But at least it was in their minds a magnificent structure. All the gold, all all the priestly regalia, all the priestly garments. How impressive it was. The bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle and the sacrifice was made. And yes... The smell of blood and the burning of flesh. All of these were religious overtones to all of it. And what did it say to them? Nearness to God. Nearness to God is what they thought. But all of that is gone. So what does it look like to worship? No more bells and no more smells. No more decked out priests and no more ornate temples. Here are believers just going to church in a plain old building. Because God doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. There's no blood. This doesn't seem, Baptists have said this before. This doesn't seem as holy as the old days. Right? You would go with nothing in your hand to offer God. New covenant worship was radically different. I understand that my high priest is in heaven. But here's the other question. Is there an altar? Do I bring a sacrifice? The writer is laboring to say to them that yes, you have an altar. And yes, you must definitely bring a sacrifice. But it's not like your grandfather's sacrifice. Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Isn't that awesome? Boy, I need to hear this in our world, don't you? We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God, here it is, acceptable worship. Remember, God was never pleased with the blood of bulls and calves and goats. How do we offer acceptable worship? We do so with reverence and awe for God is a consuming fire. Then he makes this confession in the text we've just read. Chapter 13. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, It is not the one that is about to be destroyed in Jerusalem. It's not that altar. All that the old covenant symbolized and has that gave us, all the shadows were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them. Okay? The Christian's altar is not standing in some kind of building. Your altar is outside the camp. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his atoning work that took place outside of Jerusalem. On the hill of Golgotha. Outside the gate. That's your altar. There's only one altar of healing from sins. And it's Jesus Christ the Lord. Only one. This reality should have life changing implications for you and me. I mean we're approaching Thanksgiving on Thursday. Aren't we? Are you thankful For what happened on the hill of Calvary. Outside the gate. Are you thankful for that? Two quick things this morning. Based on this text of scripture. We are to be resolute in our identification with Jesus. Remember these Hebrew people. They were under persecution for the cause of Christ. When they identified with him. They literally put their faith on the line. Are you all listening? They knew full well that to go outside the city. And join yourself with Jesus meant that you were going to suffer. So let's go out to him as the text says. We do so bearing reproach for his name. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. In other words, believing in Jesus changes absolutely everything in your life. And the writer is using terminology that would have been extremely familiar to them. The blood of the bulls and the lambs covered the sins of the people and the priest and his family. But the carcasses were carried and taken outside the camp and burned. You could not eat those sacrifices. You could not eat of those charred remains. They could not take part in this great offering meal. Christ gave his life on Calvary outside the camp as an offering to God. And unless you go out to him and trust that offering, you have no benefit and taking part in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. He's accessible to anyone who will come to him. If all if if it's of all religious systems that you have to forsake, it's not a system of religion that you obey in order to gain Christ. You have to say no to every religious system known to man. The only way to be saved is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In juxtaposition to the old covenant and all religious systems, we come to Jesus and only then are you made holy. We're now willing to suffer for His name. For first century believing Jews, it meant leaving Jerusalem. Can you imagine leaving Judaism And all those rites and rituals of the Old Covenant. And you hearing Peter preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And you were gripped by Christ and he saved your soul. And now you're an outcast in your own family because you don't connect to Judaism. This is the reproach that they had. It meant leaving the comfort and safety of Jerusalem. They go outside the camp and they bear reproach for their Messiah. For us, it looks a little different today in the U.S., doesn't it? For us, it means leaving the safety and convenience of that which seems secure secure and not threatened. It means to go out and do bold and courageous things for Christ. Even if we must give our lives in the process, so let it be. Right? That sounds strange for us in America, but that doesn't sound strange in foreign countries. Because they give their lives for Christ often. In light of what He has done for us. He bore your shame on the cross. He took your guilt upon himself. Should we not pick up our cross and follow him? Bear reproach for his name. The answer should be a resounding, we should be willing. Should we blush to own his name? Should we blush to own his name? Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Because we have this altar. What is the altar? It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. We should be willing to go outside the camp. Our spiritual food is nothing less than the life of Christ. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet it's not I that lives but Christ that lives in me. and the life that I now live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me. Here it is. Sacrificial language. And gave himself for me. So the grammar in this text is presented like this. Listen closely. We have an altar. Therefore, because we have an altar, let us go outside the camp bearing reproach for his name. And then, because we have an altar, we also have sacrifices to offer. That's the way it's worded. But it's not the kind of sacrifice you carry at the end of a leash. It's not, the, it's not in the form of bulls and goats. It's no longer a sacrifice to gain forgiveness. The writer tells us, together with the rest of the entire New Testament, as followers of Jesus Christ, your whole life is to be lived as a sacrifice to God. Why? Because the ultimate sacrifice has been given to you and made for you. It it is because of the greatness and the grandeur and the incomprehensibility of what Jesus has done on Calvary outside the camp for you. Our whole lives are now a sacrifice to be lived and offered to God. It is the ultimate sacrifice that compels us. To offer our lives back to God. As a living sacrifice. Don't get mixed up with strange teachings. 13.9 Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited, benefited those devoted to them. In other words he's trying to get them away from the heresies. That are going on in the church. Uh, Early on in embryonic stages of the faith. He wants them to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our very life and daily sustenance comes from grace. Do y'all like grace? Amen. It comes from grace which comes directly from the altar. It comes directly from the finished work of Christ on the cross. There would be no grace offered if it were not for Jesus taking your place on Calvary. That's grace given to you. So notice how he ends in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. The cities of the earth. And all earthly institutions. Even Washington D.C. is going to fall apart. Only the kingdom of Christ will remain. The proudest nations of the earth have come and gone. But Jesus lives on. We have an altar. There's reproach attached to giving your life to Jesus. I'm I'm encouraging you as the days get worse to make sure you are resolute with your identification with Jesus Christ. You're not shameful. You're not ashamed of the gospel. You're not ashamed of Jesus. You will stand up in the biggest crowd anywhere in the United States and you will say, I identify with Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. I own Him. I take Him upon myself. He is my Lord. Are we resolute? I think the greatest way you can thank Him is to be resolute in your identification with Him and who He is. Amen? Second, we are to to offer continually our gratitude to God. Listen to the scripture. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God... That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now if you have the New King James Version or the NASB, which is a New American Standard, it, it reads like this. The fruit of lips that give him thanks. And to be straightforward with you, the ESV says lips that acknowledge his name, which can be translated that way. However, the best translation is gives thanks to his name that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name in other words we have a wonderful offering to him in his presence it's a sacrifice of praise he says let us offer Do y'all know that that word offer is a technical term from the Old Testament and it means to bring an offering to God but this offering is not on the end of a leash it is a sacrifice of praise to God It's a sacrifice that consists of praise. What is interesting is that every time this word is used in the Greek translation of the entire Old Testament, it's translated how? Thanksgiving. Every single time when they translated Hebrew into Greek so people could understand the Old Testament, it is translated Thanksgiving. It means to speak of the excellence of the person, of the object, and of the event. Did you get this? Bring a sacrifice of praise, offer it up, and what is it that is to speak of his excellence? We thank him with gratitude for what he's done for us. Praise, ladies and gentlemen, is the enjoyment of God that spontaneously overflows. So, we have to do some self introspection at this point. Are you a grumbler, a complainer, a murmurer? Are you always pessimistic and down on everything? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's, impo- that's impossible if your enjoyment is truly in God. If your enjoyment is in God, it spontaneously overflows. C.S. Lewis once said, I had not noticed how the humblest and most balanced minds praised most, while the cranks and misfits and malcontents praised least. Shall I make application, church family? If your lips are tight, you're a misfit. You're a crank, and you're a malcontent. You're welcome. You're welcome. We praise whatever we value most, and we try to get others to do the same thing. I have a couple of beautiful brides that are entering my family, Chloe and Hannah. And when you go to a wedding, like this afternoon at 4 o'clock, when Chloe walks down that aisle, everybody is to look at the bride. Why? Because of the value of the bride. Let me tell you, folks, nothing compares to Jesus. Nothing compares to the radiance of that particular bridegroom who is coming. Just think of that for a moment. That's why the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's preaching to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. At a wedding, we'll say, wasn't that glorious? Doesn't compare to Jesus. Doesn't compare to valuing Him. We praise what we care about the most. We can't help it. We line stadiums at Kansas City, Georgia. I was going to say Mizzou, but that's not true. But anyway, we line the stadiums because of an event. And we act like a bunch of fools. Right? We do. We we scream and we holler and we just... All passionate about that, but come to church with just like Mild content, right? We praise what we value most. The praise not only expresses our enjoyment in God, but according to the Bible, it completes it. The more we study the revealed thoughts about God, the clearer we see that God's aim in creating this entire world was not for you. And it wasn't for me. It was to display the value of his own glory. Churches have gotten that spun on its head, and everything in church life we think is about us, but it's not. It's about the glory of an incomprehensible, all-knowing God. That's what it's for, ladies and gentlemen. How many times in the Bible does it say, I'm about to act, but I'm not doing it for your sake. I'm doing it for my great name's sake. And folks, if the truth be known, that's why he saved one person, period, is so that he might receive glory. That's why he saves souls. We see this in the Westminster Confession. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And yes, enjoy him forever. Worship is the attributing of ultimate worth to God. So think about this. We bring a sacrifice of praise from our lips. It is attributing ultimate worth to something, right? But in our case, it is God. It's no small thing to bring to our God. A sacrifice of praise. If we value him, we treasure him, we esteem him for what he has done for us in Jesus, then there will be a spontaneous overflow of praise to God for what he has done. The writer takes Old Testament covenant language and he puts it into new covenant realities. You want to hear one? Therefore, based upon the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What do you all think that came from? Came from the Old Testament. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Don't be transformed by the, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good, and acceptable, reasonable service to God. All that is overtones of what God it wants from us today. Not something on a leash. He wants you, right? Your whole entire body and self. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4 through 5. Let me just read this one. I'll flip over. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Listen to this. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's not that your sins... It's not just that your sins are forgiven in salvation, but you are also transformed into a worshipper. Are y'all listening? I'm trying to land the plane. You're not. Not only is it that your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. And I think Baptists forget this. God changed you into a worshipper. That's why church is important. That's why you can't have church on the golf course. No matter what you think. I went to. I went to church today with the greens. No, you didn't. You may have gone and played golf, but the fact is, you worship something no matter what spiritual state you're in today. Y'all do realize that. Everybody in this room worships someone or something. Why? Because God made us to worship. But when he saves you, he transforms you into a worshiper of the true and living God. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, We saw what manner of entry that we had to you, how you turned to God. From idols, Folks, you know that you can turn from idols to another idol. But if you turn to God, you will turn from idols. Amen? Uh, Those prepositions there move the world. It's not that you turn from idols to God. You turn to God from idols. And all the other idols of this world are history when you turn to Jesus. So when he saves you, he transforms you into a worshiper. Which, by the way, is what God intended for you to be. God says... Declare my excellencies, marvel at my grace. Notice, we can only bring these one way. Y'all see it? Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. If Jesus is not Lord and Savior of your life, your worship and your sacrifice to God are unacceptable. What does that say about all the different quote-unquote religions of the world that think They have access to God. Folks, they don't. Because this text makes it clear. That you can only worship God through an acceptable sacrifice. And the only sacrifice that was acceptable to our God was his son. The absolute perfect high priest. So there's a good reason. He alone, Jesus Christ, could atone for your sin. It's on the basis of his sacrifice that we are made clean and able to worship God. It's only through his sacrifice that you're given the righteousness of God. We marvel and extol the Lord because we realize there's only one mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ the righteous. This is what the rabbis missed. The writer does not want his readers to miss this. It's only through Christ. God is only available to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's only available through his son. Hebrews teaches that he's the perfect son. He's the perfect priest. And he's the perfect sacrifice. Do y'all know what that math equals up to? A perfect salvation. Amen? He is the perfect son, perfect priest, perfect sacrifice, and that all equals perfect salvation. The finished work of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, can never be repeated in any shape or form. That particular sacrifice is designed to bring you comfort today. Aren't you thankful for it? It says to us in no uncertain terms that there is nothing you can do to add to the work of Jesus Christ. Nothing that you can do. Jesus, simple math. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen? You can't add to it. It says it sets us free from trying to earn brownie points with God. At the end of the day, God treats you based on what Christ the Lord has done. Not what you have done? I anticipate a question at this point. Well, preacher, if you talk like that, people will go out and think they can live any way they want to live. So what's the alternative? Have you read your Bible? What's the alternative? Do you want me to tell people that they have to work to gain their salvation and thus keep them afraid like a lot of AG, a lot of Pentecostals do? Should we just preach a gospel and say, hey, I want you to be fearful all the time, Or do we tell people that if you don't work enough, once you get saved, you're going to fall away and lose your salvation? Is that what you want me to preach? Because that's not what the Bible says. If you preach the free, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? God will change lives. People who use the grace of God as an excuse to go out and live the way they want to live, you don't understand grace. You don't understand grace. Now let's wrap this thing up. Y'all ready? How often should we do this? How often should the fruit of our lips be a sacrifice of praise to God? Well, what's the text say? Continually. Here's an interesting thing to remember. You do understand that we can't interpret the new without the old. Right? The new is in the old concealed. And the old is in the new revealed. Right? Check this out. The words sacrifice of praise occur in Leviticus 7.12. And it speaks to the highest form of peace offering under the old covenant. And they did it morning and evening. This was a thank offering, it was voluntary. But here's the deal it followed the offering that made you ritually clean. The thank offering followed the offering that made you ritually clean. Its primary purpose was to express gratitude to God. The sacrifice is a prayer of thanks to God. Folks, in light of what God has done for you in Christ, how could we not continually praise God for it? Could it be that the reason his praise is not constantly on your lips is because the grace of God is not constantly in your mind? I'm telling you, folks, if you know where you were before Christ came after you, then you understand grace. And when you understand grace, that God Almighty did cross that chasm as Cammie was singing. That he did. You were absolutely lost and undone. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were an enemy of God. And Jesus Christ went after you. That's grace. That's grace. And when grace is constantly on your mind, you will be a person that continually walks in praise to God. Could it be... That the reason his praise is not constantly on your lips is because grace is not constantly on your mind. Could it be that adoration to him is not frequently found in your heart? Therefore there is no fruit of praise on your lips. You do know that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So for the grumblers and the complainers and the whiners, you're defying the reason God saved you. Don't defy the reason he saved you. He saved you that the fruit of your lips will be praise to God. Christian living is true worship to God. I mean, I could have summed up the whole sermon by saying that, right? Christian living, Bible Christian living, is in fact true worship to God. In conclusion, you know what we call this day that we're meeting? It's called the Lord's Day. And to me, it's the best day of the week. There are many things that I like to do in life. I got up in a tree this week, and it was 16 degrees. And the northwest wind was chapping my face, and I thought to myself, I am a fool (laughs) for sitting up. Why will a grown man, 52 years old, climb up in a lock-on, 25 feet off the ground with a lifeline, go up in that thing and sit down and look for a four-legged animal? Well, we enjoy that kind of thing. I don't know if we're stupid or what, but we just do it, right? There are many things that we enjoy in life. But I have to confess to you, I enjoy nothing like coming into this church family and lifting up my voice to the king and singing praise to God. It is the most important thing in my life. It is the thing that brings me the most joy. I want to think that it's a celebration that's so incredible to, to watch my boys play sports. And we all watch those things. And, and we like it. We, we think, and in a sense, there is a taste of glory. in that. I get it. But it doesn't compare to what we do here on the Lord's Day. It doesn't, folks. What we have done today is a foretaste of the glories to come. Do you realize you're going to be confessing with your lips to the glory of God for all eternity? And this is a foretaste of it. It's the fruit of lips confessing his name. He's taken away our iniquity. So we praise him with the fruit of our lips. We're to verbally express our gratitude. He's redeemed you through that once for all sacrifice. Our lives should be lived for him. Now, I wonder outside of this place if our conversation is missing the keynote of praise. It's kind of easy to come in here with all your brothers and sisters and Shout to the Lord! I wonder how often our conversation is void of telling others what Christ has done for us. Isaac Watts captured so well the thoughts we should have as we consider that sacrifice. I know I use this song a lot because it's my favorite. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And then he says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What has the Lord done for you? No one has ever done for you what Jesus has done for you. Give him thanks. Amen. Perhaps you're lost today. Folks, let me just tell you, the only way to be saved is to go outside the camp to Calvary. You got to start where every one of us started. You've got to bow your heart and your knee to Jesus. You have to trust that atoning work, not your works. If you're trusting your works, you're like that little hamster that gets inside of that wheel and you run and run and run and run, but you never get anywhere. And you're not going to on your work. Why? Because for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest you should boast. But you're not going to boast because God does it. God save sinners. If you're lost today, would you trust the work of Jesus on the cross to save you from your sins? Would you trust his righteousness? Because you can't trust yours. If you're going on your righteousness, let me just go ahead and tell you something. You better have a whole lot better righteousness than you have to stand before a holy God. You can't do it on your own. That's why Jesus died. To give you a righteousness that's not your own. So that when the father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. He sees the life of his son as your obedience. He sees the death of your son as the payment for your sin. Don't forget, you're not only saved by his death, you're saved by his life. It it, it wasn't just anybody who died. It was the perfect, infinite son of God. That's why his blood is infinite, to save sinners. Do you know the Lord today? Put your faith in Jesus. And for you Christians, let's don't be malcontents, complainers. Let's, let's let the fruit of our lips bring praise to our God. Amen. I'm not saying you won't have problems. I'm not telling you to go ahead, go around grinning like Joel Osteen. Because everything's not great. But the joy that God gives us in our heart is unbelievable. Even in the midst of difficulties. Right? Alright, let's pray. Father, you're good to us, Lord. And we give you praise today. And Lord, thank you for the preaching of the word. As weak as we are. Uh, Rotten, good-for-nothing sinners as we are. You've chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save sinners. God, your ways are so incredible. Lord, these instruments that speak are fallible, finite sinners. But your word is holy. Your Holy Spirit is God. And he can affect change. Lord, there's some things I can never do. I can't affect change in anyone's heart. Only you can take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. God, would you do that today if someone's lost in this building? And Lord, for believers, starting with me and everyone else, help us, Lord God, to be thankful. Let our praise come from the fruit of lips. Because we know what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: stand together and sing take up thy cross take up thy cross and follow me
2: sign up to help serve on December 17th in what we call Giving Christmas, when we join with uh, a couple other groups, right, to try and help a few families have Christmas for their kids, okay, and so if you're interested in helping helping them, we need gift wrappers uh, for that particular day on the 17th, see Danielle, Howard, or Blake, okay, Miss Virginia Morrow is here. And, folks, are you, are you already 101? She is 101. And she told me today, she said, Pastor, basically, don't think bad about me if I can't come much anymore because she did all she could to come to church today. Isn't that awesome? We want to say God is good. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Miss Virginia, I, don't, I look at living to be 100. I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do that or not, you know. <laughs> But God is so good to bless us with days. Scripture says man is given three score and ten. That's 70. By measure of strength, 80. Folks, you understand if you live to be 100, you're living on some serious gravy. Right? (laughs) That's unbelievable. Because we know three score and ten, that's about it for most of us. By measure of strength, 80. But praise God for the length of years. Um, God is good. Amen. All right. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, glad to have my daughter, Elena, here, and my four grandbabies. I don't know why she wasn't standing up here for another baby dedication. I mean, after four of them, and she's 26 years old, I think she ought to have four more. Amen? All right. She's saying no. And then my brother and sister-in-law are here, Jeff and Cindy. What a blessing to have them uh, pray for us today. Uh, you kind of get emotional preaching anyway, but when you're doing your own children's weddings, that makes it even more so. We praise Pray God will be glorified today. God bless each one of you. Brother David? Hey, just real quick, remember, uh, so
0: no evening services tonight. However, at 5.30, there will be preschool choir and children's choir. They're getting ready for their Christmas musical. So parents, please uh, have them here for that. Let's one more time say thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, blood